back. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to uh, the first episode of Funk Radio in a little bit. Uh, yeah. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Hello, listeners. Um, we uh, would... <laughs> I feel like people would be expecting, oh, they're taking a break because the whole coronavirus thing. No, um, this is no different from just a regular hiatus. <laughs> we just ran out of ideas. Yeah, every once every year or so this happens where we kind of like burn out of ideas and then we're like, oh, uh, it just happened to also happen during the time that everyone else was sheltering in place, which is kind of bad for us because if we had, if I had had ideas, pe- we could get people to listen to us every day. Yeah, we have a captive audience. nothing better to do. We have exactly. no choice but to listen to funk radio. Yes, and then they will be driven insane even faster than they normally are. Exactly. Well, hello, listeners. Hope you're staying safe. We have been. So, Kyle. Yes. I recently thought of this idea, which we will be talking about today. You know, uh, well, I, I think Shazam is is the most popular app of this type, but there's several of them. Um, SoundHound mm-hmm. being another fairly popular one. I, I assume that you have familiarity or experience using apps like these before. Yeah, the funny thing is I've actually used both, uh, but originally I used SoundHound, then Shazam became more popular than SoundHound, and for whatever reason, because Shazam was popular, I'm one of those people that I'm like, no, I don't want to use the popular one because everyone's telling me to use it. Um, I thought you were going to say you switched because it was popular. (laughs) No, I'm one of those people that the more people tell me to do something, the less likely I am to do it, Hmm. at least when it comes to like popular things like watch hey you gotta watch this tv show hey you gotta watch the tiger king kyle no god damn it no i'm joking (laughs) that's a trigger thing for me i refuse to watch that show and perpetuate the idea that laughing at redneck people is fun i don't know kyle Um, Kyle prefers to do it in uh, real life exactly like why am i gonna watch a redneck on tv and laugh at him when i can just laugh at a redneck that i see down the street Exactly. Um, who is walking his tiger. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, for those of you that don't know really what Shazam and SoundHound are, they're both apps that you can download to your phone, whether it's iPhone or Android. Or your Windows phone. Yeah, nobody uses Windows. Does Windows, didn't they cancel? No, I think I think they've been gone for a while. Yeah, I was, think, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm going to go on a tangent now. Um like all those Windows phones that came out in what, like, like when you were in college, basically, and they twenty like teens or so was when they were kind of kicking. Yeah, and they were supposed to be like you know the usurper of um, Apple, and they just sucked balls. I mean, I think in theory, it could have been like one of the big players. I it just didn't seem to go anywhere. Yeah, it's like. Like, I don't think theoretically it was a bad idea. No, it's it's not a bad idea to have a third option for operating systems. It's just their operating system didn't really offer anything unique that you couldn't get from either Apple or Android. Yeah. So these these apps, Shazam and SoundHound, they're apps you can put on your phone, and they allow you to, when you're hearing a piece of music, um, you can open the app, and the app will listen to whatever song is being played and identify the song and the artist for you, which at least personally yeah. for me is like 
a huge help because I'm horrible at like remembering. I know I, I do a podcast on music and I'm horrible at remembering artists and song names. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but I mean, like if you're if you're at a you know like let's say you're at a bar and you're you're getting drunk as Kyle does <laughs> at the bar in this particular story, um, and then you hear a good song. And you're like, damn, I don't know what that song is, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And you can either ask every single person in the bar individually what song it is, or you can just whip out your phone and uh, push a little button, and it'll tell you within maybe 10, 15 seconds or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty useful. Yeah, I've discovered a good share of music, honestly. Um by doing it that way, whether it's a song I'm listening to on the radio and I'm like, hey, this is a cool song, and I don't, but I don't know the artist or something like you said, you hear at a bar or Starbucks or what have you. Um, and I never really thought much about how these apps work. I just assumed it was some like, you know, fancy Silicon Valley tech developer, you know, stuff. Which it is. Yeah. We're going to find out today how it actually works because... I just assume, assumed it was a little person in my phone. But before we get into that, uh, I want to talk, talk a little bit about the history of these two companies. Um, yeah. And just, I guess, a little disclaimer as well mm-hmm. for the listeners, I guess. Um, I, I, we really only picked these two just because I think, at least to my knowledge, they're the most the two most popular mm-hmm. apps that do this. I'm, I know there's like got to be, I mean, there's probably a hundred other ones that do the same thing or at least... A shittier mm-hmm. version of it but i don't know to, to my knowledge i don't think there's any others that are as big as these but i could be wrong i'm not exactly sure i probably should I have was, figured that out i was going to mention this later in the episode but i guess it's a good time now mm-hmm. um my pixel phone does that on its own where any music that's oh. playing in the background will show up in my notifications and it'll just show the, the name of the song and the artist like oh just, so it just like does it in the background basically yeah like it's always listening huh. I think that's an, uh, a setting. If you go into settings, there's like an option to enable that. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. little creepy because it basically means, hey, it's always listening to, for music in the background. Oh, we all know that by now. It's just listening to everything. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting, though. I didn't know it did that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm sure it uses more or less the same. Um, and we'll get into the technology in a little bit after you cover the history. But um, yeah, I, ve- I feel like these kind of work in very similar ways. I mean, obviously they're kind of their own companies and all that, but like even the Google version, I'm sure works in a similar fashion. Yeah. So regarding Shazam and Soundhound, going back through the history of them, it looks like Shazam was actually the first of the two, um, which I guess makes sense because it is kind of also the most more popular of the two. Funny thing about Shazam that I didn't know might explain why I didn't like it is it was an application that was owned and developed by Apple directly. Yeah, I didn't I, know that. I think makes sense because I think Shazam originally was only available on iPhone and then it came to Android like a year or two later. It's an application that can identify music, movies, advertising, TV shows based on a, a short sample of audio play that is picked up through the microphone of the device. So this company, Shazam, was originally founded in 1999 by guys named Barton and Engelbrecht who were students of the University of uh, UC Berkeley. And this other guy, Muck, Muckerjee, <laughs> who mm. worked at a London-based internet consulting firm called Viant. And 
these three guys founded Shazam, and they, but they were in need of a person who was a specialist at signal processing. So the team hired... I don't know why there's no last names here, by the way. The team hired a guy named Wang, um, and that he was... Maybe it's like Cher. Maybe, maybe he just goes by Wang. He wasn't, all, he wasn't only known for signal processing. <laughs> Apparently was an esteemed signal processing specialist uh, from Stanford. The funny thing about the company is even though it was founded in 1999, it didn't actually make a profit until 2016, uh, 17 years after they launched. Wow. Hold on, let me see if there's any... And if I remember, I mean, I didn't look deeply into the history of these because you covered this stuff but i from what i remember these guys originally developed it in 99 and then apple bought it maybe a few years later yes hold on let me oh actually i think they bought it fairly recently maybe that's why oh they just like straight up bought it even though it's for android and oh it was 2017 that they bought it for 400 million dollars jesus no wonder they made a profit (laughs) Actually, yeah, that's really. It's right after it started making a profit. Apple's like, ooh. Oh, of course, because it's Apple. They don't mm. make anything themselves. They just buy up other companies that make things and then say it's theirs. So, yeah. Um, this product that they developed, um, they worked on it, obviously, through the early 2000s. And the funny thing was, originally, the app Shazam was only available in the U.S. through AT&T Wireless, which they released in 2004. Um, like, the the first, I guess, app for it that... I don't even know if it could be called an app back then, because this was, what, pre-iPhone? When did the iPhone come out? 2008? Well, did they have... Didn't they... Did they have the iPod Touch before the iPhone? Or was that after? No, iPod Touch came out right, at, right after, like, six mm-hmm. months after. Because I remember... I wanted the original iPod Touch so bad because the phone was like way too expensive and I was still in high school. So mm-hmm. I convinced my mom to let me get the iPod Touch because I'm like, it's like the iPhone without the phone. She said no and then you screamed and then she said okay. And then I held my breath until I passed out, hit my head on the table and then... On the on the display case of the iPhones <laughs> and then they all broke out and covered your body. Exactly. And they said, if you break it, you buy it. And so in high school now, you had 32 iPhones. Exactly. So basically, it's been around since, I mean, basically the entirety of the 2000s. It's been around pre-iPhone, but their launching of it for the iPhone, which... um, Oh, I remember what I... Oh, okay. Uh, This might fill in the gap here. So I I do remember reading something about this. Uh, yeah, because it launched on the App Store on, in 2008. So mm-hmm. before that, it was actually like a call-in service with the, like a landline phone. And you would what? call in this number and then you would play the music over the telephone line. Oh. And then it would hang up and then it would text you back that saying, sounds, okay, here's the song. That sounds horrible. I completely forgot I read that. <laughs> um, that makes sense because, yeah, it does say that the, the service was available for AT&T. So obviously it was right. um, something that you could do through their network. So like yeah, like pre pre smartphone uh, cell phones. I guess you could. I was gonna say that's that. funny. That kind of ties in. I don't remember if we did a whole episode on this or not, but I remember we talked about it. The pre iPhone days when you could like 
text random things to like get ringtones and shit. That was probably during that whole era. Like text five five seven five to get the latest ringtones. We did. I think we did do an episode on ringtones. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. I don't know if it was like a full episode on just that, but I know we talked about it. Um, okay, that's hilarious. That that definitely adds context. So, so as yeah, as Peter was saying, pre iPhone, it was an actually a service offered through AT and T. But then once they released an actual app for the iPhone in the summer of two thousand eight, then obviously that phone service was probably no longer needed. Well, yeah, it was a lot. And I think it probably just made a lot more sense overall and more user-friendly that way. Exactly. They didn't have to pay, like, to have that whole network set up. Right, yeah. And all that crazy stuff. They just had, you know, had to have servers or whatever. So, because it was associated with Apple at the time, the app actually um, enabled users to launch iTunes to buy a song directly that the Shazam app identified. Mm. So, they kind of integrated it with the Apple system, which... Back in 2008, I mean, and that was it was still pretty much the only major smartphone. Right. And then within about a year, um, they launched it for Android, and then it spread out, you know, for Android, Windows, and all that stuff. So it was on Windows Mobile Marketplace. Yeah. So it, it was. So I was joking about that, but it was a thing. No, it really. Yeah, it definitely was. And the the app was such a success that basically within. About a year and a half of it debuting on the iPhone, it had been downloaded 10 million times in 150 different countries. So it spread like wildfire. Wow. And, and like you said, it seems uh, once they finally generated a profit, um, Apple acquired Shazam for $400 million uh, in April of 2018. It's got to be making a hell of a lot of money if that's what they bought it for, you know? Oh, I know, right? And I'm sure partially the reason for buying it was the technology behind it, not necessarily the app itself. They can, you know, integrate uh, that yeah. stuff into Siri and their point. goofy HomePod thing or whatever that is. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Does anybody have a HomePod, by the way? I've never even heard of a HomePod. Is that a thing? It's, uh, you know, it's like Alexa or the Google Home. It's like Apple's version of that where it's a speaker with Siri uh, built in okay. and it looks like a pod. Um, I remember when it came out, a lot of people were giving it shit because it didn't natively integrate with Spotify. It only integrated with like Apple Music, yeah. and a lot of people are like, "Uh, I, you know, yeah, I have Apple stuff, but I use Spotify." Sorry, <laughs> and it was like a whole thing. I guess. I mean, I, I, I would think that a lot of people with the Apple ecosystem would be fine with that, but yeah, I mean, I know just right? because it, you want to hear it on Spotify doesn't necessarily mean you want to go buy it on iTunes. That's a different thing. True. So that was basically the history of Shazam. Um, SoundCloud's history is much less convoluted, thankfully. Um, and it was on SoundCloud, SoundHound. I'm sorry, did I say SoundCloud? Probably, which is a completely different thing. SoundHound is an audio and speech recognition company that was founded in 2005. Their main thing is they develop voice recognition, language understanding, sound recognition, and search technologies, which basically means they develop a lot of the tech and science behind things like the app, but they do more than just, you know, an app. Apparently, they even have a voice-operated AI similar to Alexa or Google called Houndify, hmm. a voice-enabled digital assistant called Hound, and then obviously their music recognition mobile app called SoundHound. So they got 
Huh. A lot of stuff in the works. Um, the company is headquartered in Santa Clara, California. Not that surprising. That's where everything is. And they were founded. Uh, it's founded by a guy named Kaven, not Kevin, Kaven Mo- Mohajar, who um, was a PhD student uh, at Stanford. The Stanford's just cranking out all these app guys. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's a Bay Area Ivy League school. There's a lot of tech stuff in the Bay Area. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I'm surprised. This uh, Caven guy, um, in 2009, they originally launched an app called Midomi that basically was the, the, the grounds of SoundHound. It was, the, you know, the, the uh, audio recognition app. Mm. Um, they quickly rebranded that to SoundHound within that same year. And by 2012, three years later, they had over 100 million users globally. So wow. they blew up roughly a little, little bit after Shazam, I guess. And by 2014, they had become the first music search product uh, available as a wearable. So like yeah. as an app on like a... As an app on a, on a like an, an iWatch or Apple Watch. Got it. Um, or your Windows Watch. <laughs> Yeah. Apparently, just one year later, SoundHout also became the first music recognition service that came in a car. Um, they did a partnership with Hyundai um, to integrate their app into the infotainment system hmm. of their 2015 Genesis. So that's cool. I didn't know that. That's like, that, that would be kind of a neat feature for cars to have, actually. Like, I'd love if my car had that. I suppose, like, if you're listening to the radio or something and you say, hey, car, what is what song is this? And they can tell you. Exactly. That's cool. I know cars now, like, if you have XM or even if, I think even some FM stations do this now, it'll display the name of the song and the artist that is playing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's basically the history of Soundhound. They're, they came a little bit after Shazam, but... Unlike Shazam, they were kind of spread themselves out a bit more, trying to get themselves integrated in more different technology. Well, and also, I I believe part of what set them apart, at least originally, I don't know if this is still the case, but I know they were the one who I think um, pioneered kind of the whole idea of like, oh, you can sing it or hum it into your phone rather than just playing That's the actual right. song itself and still recognizing it. I mean, I'm assuming like probably Shazam can do that now. Um, I would imagine, for sake of copying the other one, but at least if if nothing else, originally they were the first ones to do that, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Because their company was developing different sort of a broader voice recognition yeah. um, technology, along with just pure audio recognition, it allowed them to kind of integrate those two technologies to allow people to hum or whistle or sing a song, and it will do its best trust me i've tried it doesn't always get it right uh it'll do its best to guess the song based on that kind of audio input as opposed to just the actual song itself right i think you know what i think that's actually partially why i originally gravitated towards soundtown because it had Mm. more features like that right and i was like oh sometimes you know i hear a song but i'm not hearing it being played currently but i want to try to remember what it is or if a song gets stuck in my head then you can try and hum it and the funny thing is because my voice is jacked um soundhound would almost never know what i was singing like ever 
Um, mm. It was just like, it was just like, is this Mongolian throat singing? <laughs> this was some interesting history, and so we're going to be getting into the technology of it more. So, listeners, um, before we do that, Kyle, should we take a little break? Yes. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Peter. Do you know what a website is? No. It's a thing on the internet, and you can go there, and it's fun. Is that where I can find things to do? Yes, you can find things to do there. (laughs) Uh, Getyourfunk.com is a website for funk radio, and you can find our, our episodes there, and you can listen to them, and you can download them. And we have a tip jar. Do you like money, Kyle? I love money. Well, people will give us money there at getyourfunk.com. Yay! (laughs) Do you have a favorite episode of Funk Radio? I like the one about butts. Well, at getyourfunk.com, you can use the search bar and type in butts, and it'll pull up our episode that we did a while back about butts. Yay! And now back to our previously scheduled content. Okay. All right. So we we talked about the history of Soundhound and Shazam. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit more about how they actually work because it's not just magic. Well, you know what they say about science: if it's good enough, then it is indiscernible from magic, or whatever that saying is. Oh yeah. Um, Who said that? I don't remember. You you keep talking. I'm going to Google that. And like again, we are talking about like. Silicon Valley genius people making these apps. So the amount of like technical know-how and mathematics and audio engineering and like signal processing analysis, there's so much of like what I read was super complicated and was beyond my own understanding. And I know even that was like a dumbed down version of what it actually is. So um, I'm going to kind of keep it to layman's terms. I mean, I'm sure we'll probably lose you listeners at some point along the way. Not because you're stupid, but because this is just complicated. So um, I'm going to keep it fairly dumbed down, but we're going to try to explain it in a way that is somewhat technical as well. Um, Did you find that thing, Kyle? I did. Um, It is from the three laws of famous science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke. Um, And the third law states any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. There you go. Yep. We could end the episode by saying it's magic, but um, we'll try. Do you believe in magic? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, like I said, not only are you know is this technology super complicated, but also, I mean, like we said, these are multi-million-dollar companies, so they're not just going to tell everybody exactly how their um, tech works. So we can. There's a good amount of like study around the idea of these apps, but there's nothing out there that's like specifically, okay, here's how this works. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have a fairly good idea of what kind of analysis and um, technology goes into this. So basically, um, you know, for either of these apps or probably even like the, the Google one, for example, the, the basic concept that these, that really comes down to this is the idea of quote unquote audio fingerprinting. Um, And basically what an audio fingerprint is, it's basically a short snippet, maybe a couple seconds of a, of a piece of a song you're kind of doing like a little snapshot of that song. So for for example, if if you were to hum a familiar tune or if you were to sing If You Believe in Magic, um, that would be considered an audio fingerprint. So when you're capturing an audio fingerprint or really any other kind of recording digitally, 
um, really what you're doing is you're capturing a series of uh, audio frequencies in a sequential order. And we've talked about frequency before at length on the show, so we won't really get into that again in as much detail. But uh, really the thing to take away here is, you know, whether you're playing a clip from a song or if you're singing it or if you're humming it, you're really basically capturing the essential frequencies that define that song's tune. You know, for example, if if you hum a certain tune and I, I can still recognize it, even though it's not the exact recording of that song, you don't need necessarily all the nuances of the different instruments or, you know, whatever is going on in like a recorded song. As long as you have those essential notes of the song and essential frequencies, basically, you're able to still capture the essence of that song. Mm-hmm. And it's still recognizable. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. I think the biggest of which is, I mean, this, this, this is kind of a concept of digital music um, as a whole, but also especially in this context of converting analog to digital, you can only capture so much information from a practical perspective because there's limits on your, like, you know, your digital storage, on bandwidth, on all sorts of stuff. So, like, basically digitally whenever you're recording from analog, for example, uh, you're basically splitting a, a, you know, a second into a finite number of chunks. Like, let's say if it's like, a, if it's a nanosecond or something like that, for example, mm. um, it's only recording at that level of resolution. And I don't want to get too much down the rabbit hole of that. Cause there's a whole, you know, school of study just with that. Um, but basically, you know, that that's a concept in digital recording but also when you're talking about when you're trying to capture like the the essence of a song and the most recognizable like essential parts of it you don't necessarily need quite the same resolution of you know the song as we might expect like as regular listeners of the of the music it's kind of like just so i'm understanding this yeah it's kind of like if you take a picture a photo and then you, you lower the resolution of that photo to the point that it's you know a bunch of like square dots and stuff square squares of color your brain can still recognize what that photo is even though it's a lower resolution right kind of the same idea exactly and you know depending on how much you decrease that resolution it's still absolutely recognizable even of like who specifically that person is for example Mm -hmm. um so yeah that i mean that's a good parallel i guess you can make with this is you know, even digital photography, like you can only capture so many pixels, you know, reasonably yeah, speaking. True. Um, and so there's a certain resolution that we expect when we're listening to music, you know, that sounds quality, it sounds, you know, real and it sounds vibrant. Um, mm. When you're talking about capturing the essential parts of that song, um, you know, the resolution doesn't even need to be quite as high. And one, I guess, added bonus is that this helps... Um, cut out the background noise when you're recording on one of these apps. So like if, like we said, like if you're at Starbucks or if you're at a bar or something, obviously there's going to be just like ambient noise. Um, Mm -hmm. There might be people talking, you know, stuff like that going on. And because the app is looking for these specific frequencies that are like the strongest frequencies from the song, it's kind of ignoring everything else. And so Mm -hmm. a, a positive side effect of that is that it kind of just ignores the background noise, which is good. Um, Because, you know, sometimes when I'm using one of these apps, I'm worried that, like, oh, it's not going to pick it up. Yeah, same. Like, if you're in a public place where there's a lot of people talking, I'm always just like, oh, I hope it can hear the music. Right. And And most of the time it does. Yeah. And there is a limit to that, too. Like, if if it's drowned out too much by this other noise and it's not going to work. But 
Um, in a lot of cases, it does work, which is pretty neat. So when we're talking about this whole, um, you know, the resolution, if you will, of uh, digital audio, that's basically called the sampling rate. That's basically saying how how many data points of audio are we capturing like per second. Um, and so when we're talking about like regular recorded music that you or I, you or I listen to just on a regular basis, um, mm-hmm. kind of the most common standard sampling rate is 44,100 hertz. Um, in other words, for every second of music, there's 40, over 44,000 data points that's being captured. And that's your kind of your resolution, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's other aspects, you know, when you're talking about like the quality of music um, that we won't really get into. But, you know, that's kind of the, the, the baseline that is used for digital music. Now, that's a lot of information. Um, as we said, the apps can work with a lot less information than that. And the reasoning that it would want to do that is largely because it's a lot less data that it has to sort through. So from like the server perspective for these applications, um, the servers can hold a lot less data per song. So it's a lot less storage, but also because, you know, there's less data to sort through. That also means it can interpret your recording a lot faster. Because mm-hmm. obviously you don't want to be sitting there with your app, you know, for three minutes waiting for it to yeah, load. Um because I think usually it happens within about ten seconds or so. Yeah, usually, like if it can't if it can't find it in ten seconds, it's just, it's just like sorry, I couldn't find it. Yeah. So like when you're thinking about like when they're when they're building like when Shazam, for example, is building its database of all these songs in existence, basically, um, mm-hmm. it's taking these recordings and using algorithms to basically uh, quote unquote downsample them, or basically reducing that level of resolution from 44,000 hertz down to around 11,000 hertz, which cuts cuts out a lot of the data, but it's also still at that point, you're still keeping those like strongest frequencies. That's Mm -hmm. still like the recognizable essence of that song. So basically everything on the servers on these apps is already downgraded to this level. So for example, um, when you're going to, when you're ready to use one of these apps, you know, you open up the app, you record for, let's say, 10 seconds or so of the song. As you're recording that song, what your app is doing in the background is it's um, basically using an algorithm t- to capture that audio fingerprint. And then it's quickly downsampling it into that same level of lower detail that, that is on the servers. Mm-hmm. And once it does that, then it sends it to the server and says, okay, here's kind of your audio fingerprint. Here's this the sequence of frequencies. Go find this in the database and that that whole aspect of it in itself of searching and like matching it up is possibly like the the most mathematically complicated part of the whole process and i won't even try to get into that because i barely understood it even just reading it Mm -hmm. um but basically it uses different algorithms and um mathematical ways of matching up very quickly um these sequence of uh frequencies and when it makes a match it says okay pull up all the information about that song, the metadata of like, you know, the name, the artist, uh, even a link to iTunes or Spotify, then it sends it back to your phone. And within, you know, seconds from that recording, now you have a, you know, an identification basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really impressive. Honestly. Yeah. It's, it's so funny cause it sounds so benign, but it's kind of insane that there's a system behind the scenes that does that. Exactly. Yeah, and um, 
in terms of like, and like we said, like obviously we don't know specifically how each of these apps does it and what their own like unique science is behind it. But I would imagine that over the years they have improved upon it to a significant degree. And especially mm-hmm. with kind of the advent of um, AI in general, that's got to be making it so much faster. True. I mean, hell, not even 20 years ago, people were recording, you know, with their flip phones to a phone number, and then it was sending you a message back. That's a good point. I actually kind of wonder if the technology used in this kind of laid the groundwork for some of these voice-enabled AIs, because it does say that um, SoundHound was working on their own. Um, Right. And then you had Alexa and Google. Yeah. I would say that they were... uh, very likely being developed, you know, in parallel with each other. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to a certain extent, you know, you could say there's a lot of differences between them, but there's also a lot of similarities too. And especially as time goes on, I'm sure they're kind of integrating, probably in, integrating them into each other, honestly. More and more. Well, it's like I was saying earlier in the episode, Google through their Google assistant already basically has their own version of this that's built in. I'm sure yeah. Shazam or not Shazam, uh, Siri, Probably does too, especially since Apple bought Shazam. Right, exactly. So this is, um, you know, in the background, probably just its own module of Siri now. So hopefully that wasn't too crazy with the technical stuff. I mean, that is extremely dumbed down versus what I was reading earlier. Um, yeah, I was. that's why I was like, uh, I'm going to let you handle that part. I guess you could say, listeners, that we have been downsampling the the information. The quality your of our podcast. So that's actually, that actually kind of spurs an idea for a future episode, Hmm. um, talking about, um, the sampling rate of of digital music, because obviously that's kind of the musical equivalent, like you said, of of resolution for say a picture or video. I'm kind of interested in how those different sampling rates were developed and like what the, what the current, you know, uh, standard is what's considered high, what's considered low, poor quality. I know right. we've discussed FLAC uh, lossless files are much higher quality than your average MP3, so obviously they have higher sample rate. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, go for it. So yeah, anything else you want to cover with this before we wrap it up? Um, I don't think so. Um, oh. Just anecdotally, um, I have switched to Shazam. I have Shazam on my phone now. I don't know why. I just didn't. Once I got the Google phones, I just didn't download SoundHound and just went to to Shazam. Mm. But what I have been using it for a lot recently has been super helpful. Is in my quarantining, I've been watching a lot of anime, mm. and a lot of anime opening music or theme show music or whatever mm. and credits music is in Japanese. So I don't know what the hell they're saying. <laughs> so a lot of the times I'll be like, hey, I dig that song, but it's in Japanese. And so I'll use uh, Shazam to be like, well, what the hell is the name of the song? And usually it will even give me the Japanese characters. And I'm like, I can't read that. But it'll usually give me a link to like uh, Spotify or whatever. Yeah. So I can that's smart. keep it logged. Cause yeah, I, that's, I mean, that's probably one of the greatest things about Shazam is like, it's, it's language agnostic. So if you hear a song, right. it's not in English, but you'd still dig it. It's like, here you go. Right. All, all it's looking for is those frequencies. It's not, exactly. you know, or interpreting language or anything like that. Exactly. 
So yeah, just anecdotal. That's what I've been using it for decently yeah. too lately. Well, um, yeah, I'm interested to see where these go in the future. I mean, I, I guess if nothing else, they'll kind of just be more integrated into like our home assistance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and exactly. Probably just be able to not only recognize stuff faster, but even like automatically, like you said, like your phone is already doing it. Of uh, just like hearing it in the background, being like, "Oh yeah, by the way, this is this song." Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting it's to think the about. World, the world is getting less private. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you want to tell us something, private, private thoughts, <laughs> listeners, um, you can tell them to us at facebook.com/slash get your funk. If you don't want to do that, you can go to getyourfunk.com and find our episodes there. You can use the search bar to look up different topics that we've talked about before, some of which we mentioned in this episode, many of which we did not. We have nothing more to say, so that means you have nothing more to listen to, listeners. So until next time, this has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Kyle. And you have been the listeners. Bye, we love you. <laughs>